Welcome to the Impact Zone. I'm Courtney Coleman, your personal impact mentor, equipping women to make an intentional impact from the inside out. If this is your first time in the Impact Zone, hola, thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast to catch Make an Impact Monday, Intentional Thursday, and Inside the Impact Zone Sunday. It's Sunday, and it's time to go inside the impact zone, where I'm encouraging you with stories and interviews of women who are making an impact now. So come on and join the interview. It is Sunday, and welcome to Inside the Impact Zone. Today, we will be discussing Stop Believing the Lies, Why You Need to Get Help with Postpartum Depression. This is a very vulnerable and needed topic for women today. My guest today is Ms. J.J. Carolyn. She loves helping people create a strong, thriving inner landscape so they can take the bold, focused actions they need to take when creating a fulfilling life and business. She's a certified professional life coach and board-certified behavior analyst, which means she specializes in marrying deep inner work with powerful outer actions. She's expecting her second daughter in October of this year. So come and join us on our interview. I am here with a special guest that um, has made a huge impact on me and my personal development and my business. And this woman's name is J.J. Carolyn. And um, I am so honored that I get a chance to speak to her um, about something that is very near and dear to her personally. So, without further ado, welcome Miss JJ Carolyn to the Impact Zone. Hi, Miss JJ. Hi. When you said you were going to do a podcast, I couldn't wait to raise my hand and be part of what you're doing because I just I love this message that you're bringing to people about helping them get out of their heads and you know into productivity and make their impact on the world. So I'm really really excited I get to be part of this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Tell me, as an icebreaker question, I like to come up with questions that um, give us information that we normally wouldn't know about you. Tell me what activity you enjoy that you no longer do. Before I had my first baby six years ago, I was an avid pole dancer, and I used to go to a great studio in New York City called S Factor, but they're all over the country, and it was a great. It was like my favorite outlet ever, and. Also, the rebel in me loved it because people got like so shocked when they learned I was a pole dancer. <laughs> yeah, I was shocked. I was like, a pole dancer? Are you serious? Mm-hmm. First thought in my head was, well, no wonder she got pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're kind of right because I got pregnant while I was flat on my back from an injury from pole dancing. So, yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're not that far off. I pulled a hamstring and I was on bed rest for a little while and then I had a baby. <laughs> Oh, wow. Now, I've seen some pole dancing, and I'm like, that is like some serious exercise, and you never think of it from that point of view. You just think of it for, you know, all the long stuff. But um, that just amazes me, like the strength that you actually have to have to do all those tricks. So it's it's a Mm -hmm. gymnast position, basically. So that's, like, (laughs) hilarious to me. Um, and you're such a funny person that I'm just like, I can just imagine JJ crawling around on a pole laughing. Whatever you do, I just see you laughing. So that cracks Uh huh. So what turns you on the pole dancing? You know, that's a great question. Um, and I was trying to remember because it was so long ago. It was like 10 years ago that I started pole dancing. And uh, I think my best friend found like oh let's do this like it's a, it's a intro class like it'll just be fun and we'll just go do it or whatever and I, and you know for anything I was like sure we'll just go do this and then afterward I was so transformed by the time I spent in the studio and um, the instructors do a demo for you and it was so not what I thought it was going to be and something mm-hmm. inside of me was just like you really need this because I was so bogged down in my career and I was so bogged down in my identity as, you know, I'd been married for maybe two years by that time and I would like become this wife and what did that mean? And I was wearing twin set sweaters from Eddie Bauer. It was like I lost this whole piece of myself. And I was like, something in me was like, just do this. And it was not cheap. I mean, those lessons were like hard for me to scrabble up the money. 
but I just signed up for it. And then I, I really never looked back. It was like completely transformative uh, experience in that studio. I mean, that studio's motto is it's for the woman. It's not for the spectator. Wow. Was, yeah. So it was, I was just like an, in, one of those listening to my inner voice things on the corner of like 24th street and Ada's Avenue was like, do it. <laughs> like, wow. Okay. And that goes to prove, you know, when a woman wants to do something, she finds the funds and the means <laughs> to do it. Right. Wow. Uh-huh. No, no, I need this. I got to get my pole dance in a lesson. Oh yeah. <laughs> Wow. So, just to let you all know more about Ms. JJ, her model for her business is um, she's a business coach and coach for entrepreneurs and teaches them to serve like hell. So, we're actually going to discuss postpartum depression and the career woman um, on today's Inside the Impact Zone. So, Ms. JJ, tell us a little bit more about you. You're married, you know, and you have um, one daughter already and one on the mm-hmm. way, right? Yep. I have a five-year-old named Delilah, and I have – she'll be six, and the new baby will come in October after Delilah turns five, and we are accepting uh, submissions for names. <laughs> we have none. We used our – we were, like, one and done, but now we're having two. So we don't have a name, <laughs> but we're oh, throwing some ideas cool. around. <laughs> right. Okay, cool. So, well, let's just dive right in right here. Sure. So yeah. um, you've had an experience with postpartum depression. What yeah. was that like? What was it like? Yes. Yeah. Um, not what you. Not what I thought it would be like. <laughs> you know, I, I, I had really battled depression and anxiety since I'm 10 years old, you know, for a really long time. And so I thought that postpartum depression would look just like the things I experienced with depression and anxiety. Um, Like I would feel lethargic or I would feel like I had to sleep a lot or that I wouldn't bond with the baby. And and that might be true for some people too. Um, But for me, it actually manifested very differently and made it hard for me to recognize what it was. So Um, For me, it manifested as a lot of uncontrolled anger and rage towards my husband, towards the people I worked with, um, which I, you know, kept a lot of that kind of bottled up. And thankfully, never towards the baby, but a lot of women experience that too. Um, Towards my parents, who we were living with at the time, you know, unfortunately got the butt end of a lot of, you know, how angry and, and unhappy I was. But I didn't, I didn't know like that was depression because it looked like anger. <laughs> it was not in the same emotional spectrum, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really out of, out of character for me. And then the other thing that it was like for me was I became extremely, extremely absent minded and it was hard to do really simple things. So Ooh. it was really hard for me to change a diaper. Wow. It was like overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> it's like wow. change a diaper. Like, what do I do? And I knew how to do it. I mean, I can change a diaper. Like, But it was so, the idea of it was so overwhelming. Or packing a diaper bag. Like, I had to have a list on the door of what goes in a diaper bag. Because I couldn't remember. And it was, like, overwhelming for me to leave the house. Wow. I never even thought of that experience being like that. And, I mean, I don't think I I ever had the whole postpartum depression thing anyway, but I never even imagined that it would be overwhelming like that was past. Um, so how did you know that that was what you had? I didn't for a really long time. And I think that's the shame and stigma of postpartum depression because there's, you're supposed to have this glowing newborn mom thing. And I worked in a school, so everyone was a hundred times a day. How's the baby? How's the baby? It's like, well, that part was great. I loved having the baby, but everything else was just, you know, falling apart. So I didn't know for a long time, and then I had a, I happened to have a really perceptive OBGYN, so at the six-month follow-up, she was maybe three-month follow-up, I forget, six weeks, I don't know, she was asking me some questions, and she kind of picked up, like, that I wasn't myself, that I was really a lot weepier than usual, that I was talking really rapidly, I mean, I'm a fast talker, but I was having, like, rapid impulse control stuff, and so she kind of picked it up, and... I also had been working with a therapist while I was pregnant to hoping to kind of prevent postpartum depression. I was nervous about it because of my history. Um, so 
So she kind of sent me back over there and was like, why don't you just go talk to, you know, the therapist? And then we kind of sorted out what was going on. But it was, it was, it went on for a long time. Long. Um, so I know sometimes I hear like PPD, postpartum depression, and the blues after having a baby. Is there a difference between the two or are they the same thing? I think that's why it's so hard. I mean, as a, 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 like, that's why it's so hard to figure out because a lot of people do have a natural, like, hormonal dip after the baby and a lot of people do feel sad or weepy or they miss being pregnant. Like, those things are true. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I know I'm not a doctor, but the, the best thing I could say was, like, the difference for me was that I didn't bounce back. I didn't come back and I didn't have any periods of feeling like myself at all. So there wasn't a part of the day where I was like, oh, there's the old JJ. It was, I always felt this overwhelmed, on edge was my baseline, and that's not like me. So I never really got back to feeling like me, and I think that was, you know, kind of the difference for me between baby blues. It just didn't get better. Wow. Okay. So what was going on in your life at the time you found out that you had postpartum depression? Can you, like... Set that up for me to, like, you know, yeah, totally. <laughs> this is where I think the work you're doing is so important because I had been, I, I was in the place that you get to when you follow the path of the things you're supposed to do, right? So I had my Ivy League degree and then I had my postgraduate master's and I was pursuing another master's and I had gotten married and I had had this kid and I had climbed the ladder and I owned two properties, and I had done all the things you were supposed to do in the order you're supposed to do them. Nice. And we said, <laughs> thanks. But what I hadn't done along the way was ask, like, what, why am I doing any of this? You know, what am I, what am, what am I doing? Do I, is this what I like? Am I happy? Do I love my lifestyle? Am I doing, am I, is this the kind of lifestyle I want to have and have a kid? Like, is this the impact I want to live on my kid that I'm gone 60 hours a week for this career? Is that like, maybe, maybe it is for some people. Maybe it's not, but I never even asked, right. you know, why am I doing these things? And so what had ended up happening with us was the real estate market tanked. We had two empty properties we couldn't live in. We were living with my parents. And so at 33, that's like really hard to move back in with your parents. Right. Um, and so we were all three of us, me, my daughter, my husband living in, you know, the back two bedrooms of my parents' house. Um, I was working as the clinical director of an agency that provided services for kids with autism. So my schedule was demanding and crazy. Um, I had to drive all over New Jersey, like six, seven, eight hours of driving a day sometimes. Sometimes I can get home till eight or nine o'clock at night and, the impact that had on everybody around me was crazy because, you know, my mom was nice enough to provide childcare, but I would be like, don't put the baby to bed. I have to see her, you know, like the baby had to stay up until nine. So I could see her when I got home and all this crazy stuff. So, um, it was really super dysfunctional and it's really hard to become a new mother when you're under the gaze of so many people, um, who have an opinion. You should do yeah. that for better or for worse, especially as a 33-year-old when you already know, like, it's like not a time you want to be taking feedback <laughs> in. So I wasn't very gracious about my mom's help. And um, it was like, I, I always think about like it was like a pressure cooker, but I was just doing what I had set myself up to do, right? Work, Thanks. have the baby, leave her in daycare, try to sell the properties, blah, blah, blah. Like that's what I had set myself up for. So that's, I was just living it out. Wow. I can totally, when you said dysfunctional, something just like hit me. But I remember when I went to school, I wanted to go to school for advertising and design. And that's what I got my degree in. But it was marketing advertising. And then it was like, wait a minute, at an ad agency, I can't go home. And then I had a child. I was like, screw this, I'm out. <laughs> you know, my <laughs> dream of, like you said, setting it up where this is what I want to do. I want to work at ad agency. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want, you know, you want to have that power role this powerful woman that has all her stuff together and, you know, yeah. exactly what you say you achieved. And it's like, you kept going. I hit the, I hit the delete button. And when you said dysfunctional, something just clicked for me. Like, you yeah, know, that really would have been messed up for me. And it's just like solopreneurs. It's the same thing. A lot of them spend so much time trying to get to business and do it that the family grows up or they end up resenting the business as well because they forgot yeah. about the family. 
Well, that's very mm-hmm. key. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's that um, intentional piece that I think, and that you really help people with too, is like, what are you doing with intention? Mm-hmm. And nobody asks that question when you're in your 20s. You just do what career services tells you to do, you right. know? And I loved my career. Not to say that I didn't love it, but mm-hmm. you really hit the nail on the head when you said, there's this idea that you have of like, what is it going to be like to be a strong, powerful, you know, female leader? And that's what we're supposed to do and start the agency or climb the ladder. And then the reality of it isn't always exactly right. like what you think it's going to be. Like you think you're going to climb the ladder and have more freedom or more money or whatever, but you have more responsibility and um, you work more hours. And so it's like good to have a mentor or like talk to real people in the field, in whatever field you're in about the real about the lifestyle, what you're getting into when you just follow the path. Yeah, so we always get sold on the good picture, right? We never get sold <laughs> the drudgery, the hard work, the sacrifices, and the pain and the arguments. We never get sold on that. So mm-hmm. definitely no. right about that. So were there any signs that you recognized that were red flags that you needed help? Like, Because a lot of times we just go, and a, a lie I just, uh, recently had exposure to from seeing different people, we um, we want to tell our bodies, no, don't hurt, but we need to actually listen to our bodies and respond. It shouldn't be the other way around, but that's the lie that we're taught. So what signs that you see that were like red flags that you really needed some help? Mm, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I, this is like for someone who's really all about listening to your inner voice. <laughs> I didn't. I just didn't. I mean, the signs were that I was exhausted. I didn't wake up with any kind of energy at all. It was like just, if I, you know, if I didn't have to go collect a paycheck, I never would have got out of bed. Mm-hmm. So I think that was my first sign was how much coffee I needed to drink or I thought I needed to drink to get through a day. Like just to get through a day, I had to take a nap at my desk every day. I was just so drained. Mm-hmm. And I'm normally, you know, I'm a doer and I'm a go and I'll, you know, so it's not abnormal for me to have a couple cups of coffee. But I mean, it was really drastic, that just that drain on me. Um, and even though I was nursing, I kept a lot of weight on from the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So I never really, I mean, that should have been a big thing for me. I mean, I came from being a pole dancer to being overweight. And I think that really should have been a telltale sign for me because that's something I cared about, like being fit and healthy. And I always was a walker. I stopped. I stopped moving. I stopped making it a priority. Mm-hmm. So those those are pretty big signs. But also, I mean, in the, in the interest of just helping anyone who's listening who might be suffering, the biggest sign for me was when I started to hurt myself. And that's when I started to actually think it was time to get help mm-hmm. because up until then I could swallow it and excuse it away and say, oh, it's just this or I'm just so busy or we'll get a break when we're not under so much financial stress or I'll feel better when my life circumstances change. But when I started actually hurting myself, then I had it. This is not in the normal spectrum of what people do for coping and and kind of had it. But even that took a really long, it's like crazy how much we can bottle up and just stuff aside and be like, I'll deal with it later. Right. So did you have the for a while or you just kind of went into doing stuff was that like I've been thinking about doing stuff or I'd see pictures of me doing stuff or something would suggest to me to do something to myself for a while and then you started or how did that happen really good question um that was like a Barbara Walters question. That was really good. I would say that it escalated. So it started with me just being snappy and really irritable. And then it escalated into like these uncontrollable bouts of rage where I would really scream at my husband or I would get really, really mad. Um, and then and now having gone back and read more about self-injury, it happens a lot of times when people don't have an avenue for self-expression, which I didn't have. There was no one to talk to. None of my friends had kids. I had no one to compare it to, you know, and um, so I really didn't have any self-expression at all except the therapist I was going to, um, which I could hardly, I kind of stopped going to her too because I was like, if I had an hour in a day, I wanted to see my daughter. I didn't want to go to a therapist. So I stopped that thinking, oh, I'll handle this. Um, so I think it just, I can't remember what, how it started, but I think it just started like as a, a release of all this pent up tension. Um, but I don't remember it starting with like, oh, I had thoughts about hurting myself. I think you just remember just one day 
like, I don't even remember how it started or what I started with, but that was just sort of like all this pent up stuff and nowhere for it to go. Mm-hmm. And then there's this feeling of like relief and release afterward where you're like, okay, I'm back to normal and it's going to be okay. Almost like you get after you like yell at someone and then you feel better, except if you yell and yell and yell and yell and no one hears you, what ha- what do you do after that? Like, what's the next level? Wow. That just paints this picture for me of like this enormously strong energy that has to get out. So mm-hmm. it's best interest to exercise or talk to somebody, do something, you know, proactively to make sure that it gets out. Because if you don't, it will come out a way you won't prefer yeah. to come out. So it's like, doesn't matter how, but it has to come out. So just mm-hmm. you a proactive person and helping it come out. That is the best way to like, because it just, your body craves that relief. So it's better for you to like institute something in your routine, like all the time, make that commitment to yourself to just get whatever out. Because you don't want it to sit in fashion. We all know that's like the worst case scenario to mm-hmm. sit, compound stuff. So that's a really great visual for me. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right on that. And I have no doubt that if I, had caught it earlier and if I if I had had the support I needed and my doctor had said to me like you must go back to walking four times a week for 30 minutes and like was checking on me or something and I was held accountable even with the baby in the stroller or whatever I have no doubt like things could have been a little bit easier and if I would have gotten the the help like this verbal self-expression of being able to say to someone like I'm uncontrollably angry I hate my husband I hate my family I you know but I couldn't say those things because there was no one to say them to who would hear them or understand them. I mean, I remember trying to talk to my friends and bless them, but they didn't have kids yet. So they didn't know the big change right. that comes. And so, you know, they would say things back to me. Like I had one who was married and one friend who was married and she said something like, Oh, well, you know, a marriage has to be built on mutual respect. I was like, mutual respect. I'm going to kill this man. <laughs> We're never so far beyond. I'm happy to say we just celebrated 10 years together and we got over it, but it was like, Aww. Oh, you guys just got married on a boat and you have no idea what I'm going through. <laughs> you know? So it was Aww. like, anytime I turned to someone to try to get help, it just, it wasn't that someone who really understood wasn't there, which is where I feel like people, it, you know, if I had known what was going on, I would have found a support group earlier or, right. you know, found a way to talk to other moms that that were going through the same thing or something similar. But, yeah, I just didn't know. I had no guidance. So when you say there was nobody to talk to, I heard, like, identify with as well. And mm-hmm. yeah. it's like a lot of times we don't even want to share with the doctor this little thing because we think, oh, this is nothing. Actually, yeah. it's very key because if you're dropping crumbs along the way and they've seen enough, you know, whole meals together, they can say, okay, <laughs> I know where this is coming from. I need you yeah. to do this to help you prevent or make sure you talk to somebody because it can kind of snap you out of that denial thing that we do a lot of times. Yes. Um, yep. So that is very, very key. Those small things do add up and they really do mean something. And the big mm-hmm. don't ignore those. That's awesome. Wow. Yeah. And you know what's I think the thing about postpartum depression that's really scary is you don't want to tell your doctor because you're afraid they're going to take the baby away. Because oh. you're not rational. Oh. So oh. so it is really important because the doctor's not going to take the baby away. <laughs> like it's not, well, not going to happen. Spelling that because I didn't know I didn't even I didn't even think about that. Like if yeah. somebody was in postpartum depression, you think I can't tell anybody they're going to take the baby. I never yeah. even thought about that. Yeah, wow. I was really afraid because at the time, I mean, my husband was going through his own things, as you can imagine. So he had no idea what any of this was going on with me. He just knew I wasn't myself when we weren't doing well. But he was dealing with living in his in-laws' house and with a new job that was demanding for him too, and with this crazy lifestyle change and becoming a father and. So it was like if I tell someone, like, I didn't even know, maybe he would turn on me and want to take the baby away. And it's irrational because that's like the whole thing about postpartum depression. It can really take away your rational thinking. Of course, my husband would never take the baby away from me. And of course, my OB would never do that. But you just kind of get in, like, for me, I don't know how for other women, but for me, I just got in this space of fear of just, like, put your head down, plow through, and it will go away like everything else has gone. Like, eventually, everything goes away, right? <laughs> this is going to go oh, away, wow. too. But it doesn't. It needs to be treated. 
That's a very good point. A lot, and I think we do that maybe, well, maybe as a society, they're in different mm-hmm. areas. There are things that we kind of put our head down about, and just kind of ignore it and say, well, it doesn't affect me, it go away. But you're mm-hmm. in the middle of it. You're just so close to it, you can't see it, or the self-denial thing is just horrible. Because um, a lot of times when we look back, we're just like, if only I would have gotten help earlier. If only I would have, you know, whatever the case may have been. So, wow. Those are some really great points. Thank you. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and it's that like it's that conundrum you just said. Like, how do you know? Hindsight is fifty fifty. So how do you know when it's time? And I don't really. I wish I had a better answer to that. Mm-hmm. Wow. So did you feel guilty for wanting your career instead of wanting to be a mom first? I mean, I know you had all that stuff going on at the same time. Did that even enter in? Like. Yeah, I felt guilty because of the opposite. I didn't know that after I had a baby, how bad I wouldn't want my career anymore. Mm. So it was a different kind of guilt. And I, you know, as someone who went to a feminist institution for undergraduate work, I went to Barnard College and, you know, Cheryl Sandberg recently spoke there about her whole philosophy of lean in. So that's kind of like the culture and, and all important too, right? But there isn't a model now yet for women who want to have a career and have a family and be balanced. Like there's no way to, there's no model. There was no model then, but so I always thought, Oh, I'll have a baby and I'll put her in daycare from nine to five, maybe nine to six and it'll be fun. And, um, and that's, I'll have everything. And after I had her, I didn't want to work at all. I mean, I just, at least for a while, I really wanted to be with her. I had no idea how much I would fall in love with her and how motherhood would change me like that. And even though people had tried to tell me, like, oh, you'll, things might change when you have the baby. Don't make your plans now. And I was like, no, I know. I've worked for this no. career, and I have, you know, 1,700 graduate degrees, and I blah, 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 you know. But I I didn't. And so then, like, how am I paying off? thousands of dollars of student loans and how I've worked myself up this ladder and I run this agency and blah, blah, blah. And I wanted to just leave it all. And, and that was, I felt terribly guilty, especially because, you know, it wasn't just me that got me to where I was. Other people supported me and helped me. And, um, how do I let go, start to let go of that? Right. And shift my priorities. There was a tremendous amount of guilt in that. Definitely. Wow. So. I know we assume um, for other people, but what did it feel like to have so much pressure put on you? Like, did you think it was solely yourself or was it about what you thought other people would say or think, or you can do this, you know, what did it all fall just from you mentally assuming things or did anybody else ever say anything or, you know, suggest something that makes you feel that way or? Probably both. It was such a soup. <laughs> I mean, every at that time, everything was so like mixed up. And uh, I would say probably a lot of the pressure, and I think for a lot of people just going through transitions, I'm sure you experience this when you're working with people too. Like when you're going through a transition, there is a period of letting go. Mm-hmm. And that letting go period is like you really are challenging your values, your priorities, where you are in life now, how things have changed, and, and have to go through the kind of almost grieving of letting go of all the places you thought you were going to go and what you thought you were going to do to create a new vision. So there, yeah, definitely that internal piece, um, probably the cultural piece of like, here I was as a really high achieving, you know, female setting an example. And in my field, there weren't really that many high achieving females. Uh, you know, I was a board certified behavior analyst. So it's one of those fields where a lot it's dominated by women, but in leadership, it's mostly men. Oh. So, I hated to leave that behind. You know, I felt that I felt like I was abandoning something, I don't know, bigger than myself. Um, and then there's the financial pressure of like, well, of course you're going to keep doing this job because we need the money. Mm-hmm. Especially we were supporting like two empty properties that we couldn't get renters for and all this business. So like we had to have the money. There was that story. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there were just kind of, and 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 again, there was that like, oh, well, you're going to be okay in a little while, so just stick with it and you'll be okay. I think that was the predominant like 
feedback I got from people when I was like, everything's changed. And they'd be like, You're gonna, it's all going to get back to normal. It's the newborn period. And I was like, okay, it's all going to get back to normal, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it didn't. <laughs> Never got back to normal. And two years later, it was still not normal. Wow. So you're just saying two years. So what was the turning point when you said, you know, something has to change. This is this this can't go on anymore. It was really sad. My turning point was really sad, but I'm glad it happened or I wouldn't have the life I have today. So thank God for it all. But um, it was going on and on and on and on. And then and we and we finally sold my apartment. And when we finally sold my apartment, we could then afford to move out of my parents' house. And so we had taken all of our things from storage that we had, all of our belongings had been in storage. And that's a long story too. We took them all out. We put them all in my parents' driveway and we were like sort of going through them. And I don't know what triggered it, but I was in the shower and I just had another episode of this like uncontrollable internal rage. And, and this time I did have the thought before the action, thank God. And I remember thinking, you know, if I would just slam my head against this tile so hard it would crack open, someone would finally see me and hear me and help me. Wow. And I turned off the water. I didn't do it. I turned off the water, like mid-action. I started to, and then I turned off the I don't think I've ever told this story, but um, I turned off the water, and I put a towel around me, and I went in our bedroom where all of our earthly belongings were, like me and my baby and my husband were living in this bedroom, and I just sat and I, and I, that was a catalyst moment where I was like, I can't believe what I almost just did. And it had gotten so far. And that woke me up like, okay, you really, you could just use your words to ask for help. You don't really have to bleed from the head, but my words had only gotten me so far. And I, and, and so I didn't really believe in them or their ability to get me help. So I got dressed and I walked out to my husband who was sitting amongst all of these boxes that were labeled, you know, to Queens, to Greenwood Lake, to stay here, donate. And I just looked at him and I said, I need you to get me help. I need you to get me help right now. And I can't do anything else. And I sat down and I don't remember anything after that. And so he did. He, I think he called my doctor. I don't even know how we ended up in the, in the psych ER, but that's where we ended up. Um, is that he, he took ownership and control and just, you know, I guess, got me in the car and, and off we went. And that was really the turning point where I was about to do something so awful to myself, I could have really done permanent damage. Wow. Wow. I heard you say two things that stuck out. Um, one was being, I thought you said you didn't even believe your own words. Mm-mm. And I, I was like, yeah. wow, that they would get you help. You didn't believe that. And I thought, oh, my gosh. Um, that's really, really key. So making sure that you do have somebody that knows what's going on or that you're communicating, you know, while you're in the stage that you don't even know that you're in, just communicate anyway. And maybe they'll be watching you and maybe they'll see you because you're crying out for help in one way. And then maybe they'll see it in a different way and they can put the two pieces together and get you help. Um, mm-hmm. But to finally it's like saying the-, the words to the right person or people. So like just keep saying them. Yeah. And make sure they get in front. Like if so I was saying them and saying them, but not to people who could recognize them for what they were mm-hmm. um, or not to people who had the power to be pushy with me. So like my OB recognized it and my therapist recognized it. But when I stopped going to therapy, she doesn't have the power to call me and say, hey, get back in here. That, you know. Yeah. And my OB doesn't have the power to take my hand and <laughs> make me go. Right. And, you know, so it was like, who do I find? And the person really I should have communicated to was my mother because she would have. But I didn't want to break her heart about what I was suffering. So you don't want to see your children suffer. So I didn't want her to suffer or take on the burden and ownership. It's like crazy what we do to ourselves to protect other people. It's right. like, who is the person you can say the words to who knows you? who's been through some of your experiences, who can say, nope, that's not normal, and who's going to pull you by the ponytail and and help you bootstrap yourself back to where you need to be. Right. And none of those people were the people I was letting my words fall in front of. Wow. So the right person or the right people is key. Because when you said, you know, your husband took over and, you know, 
we know husbands, they like to fix things. And but you have to give up that control. If you don't give up that control, if you don't give them that authority, their hands are tied. So that was the other thing that I heard. It was like you relinquish that control. Like, no, I got it. It'll go away. So you you bought into the lie of, oh, it's okay. It'll go away. So you're like, oh, okay. It'll go away. But that wasn't the case. So I think we brush so much under the rug sometimes instead of paying attention to the details of this person is not acting how they normally are. And for you to give him the reins and say, this is it. I can't have you handle this because I can't handle it. That is like, wow. Yeah, that's a really great point that you picked up on. And I think also with that is I hadn't I hadn't told him what was happening before that. So he was helpless by lack of information. I hadn't said to him I was suffering. I hadn't said to him any of these things that what I was doing to myself or I mean it was all hidden and I think people that self injure and suffer these things that we hide it. Um because it's shameful. It's so embarrassing. Like, well, I'm what? And I'm a behavior analyst. I mean, I write behavior plans for children with autism who are self-injuring. So it's, you know, especially embarrassing. Like, I should have a behavior plan for myself or something. So, you know, it was like it's a it's a really, that was the first time I said to him that I'm hurting myself and you need to get help. So I hadn't even given him a chance to take the reins before that. Wow. Wow. That's really... Because a lot of times when you're that power woman, you don't want to give up that authority and that mm-hmm. control. And mm-hmm. it doesn't—it doesn't just stay at work; it falls over into your home life, your friendship, mm-hmm. all those other things. Um, so I think that's one of the dangers of trying to be that power woman. You know, yeah. when you get into a relationship with a man, you have to relinquish control. He wants a lady, <laughs> and he needs to be the head. So that mm-hmm. is—that is very key. So if there is one message or lesson that you could share with women because of your experience that you had, what would that be? Well, I want to say things like, you know, as soon as you know you're suffering, get help and and things like that. But I know how complicated that statement is because sometimes you try to get help and you can't and no one's helping you. You know, even after I admitted what I needed and got into the mental health care system and went to the psych ER, I still had to advocate for myself and a time and a place where I couldn't. But the the mental health care system dropped me, and it wasn't very easy. And, I mean, honestly, I'm sitting there in the psych ER, and, and the psychiatrist came by, and I'm, you know, visibly injured, and I have scratches all over my body. And, and, you know, he just patted me on the hand, and he said, well, we could admit you. We'd really like to admit you. All mommies get a little sad sometimes. You know, it's <laughs> like, oh. And I thank God for that man because he's the one that made me realize I still had a shred of dignity, pride, and fight in me, and I was not getting admitted. And so I did not wow. get admitted. <laughs> like, if I have to see your face every day, someone's not going to live. And I wasn't the nicest thought I ever had, but I knew, <laughs> like, I, I still had that piece of me that's in me that could stand up and fight for myself as a little, like, if he hadn't made me so angry in that moment. You know, I wouldn't have known that. So, like, what's one message? It's like, yeah, get help as soon as you can. Um, but it's so complicated. Like, we covered. There's guilt and there's anger and there's the who's going to help you. And so, you know, I would say if you feel like you are not yourself, definitely check out a support group at least and talk to someone, you know, through at least go one time and just see if you – what other people are saying. I wish I had done that. I wish I had just, like, one time popped into one and and I could have left and been like, whoa, those are all really crazy ladies. I'm really fine. Or I could have been, <laughs> probably would have been like, oh, my God, we're all going, I know I understand what's going on. And, in fact, it was a blogger that helped me understand what was going on. And I, oh, God, if I remember her name, Beth Ann something. And she had her son a little after me, an experienced postpartum psychosis. And she blogged about it a lot once, you know, she got past a certain point and I started to recognize myself in her blogs. And that's how I started to understand what was really going on for me. It was like way beyond, um, you know, baby blues or anything like that. And was just hearing and resonating so much with how crazy she sounded. <laughs> I was like, I sound crazy like that in my head too. Wait a minute. Um, and, and so that was like, oh, so just hearing, I think, just try to find a way where someone who's gone through a similar experience, you can hear them and see if you resonate with them, I guess would be my takeaway message is, you know, don't, is, is to just find 
some way to get information so you can be educated about whether or not this is depression or baby blues. And I think the other thing, and and this is why I ended up building a life coaching practice, is speak the truth. Just have Mm -hmm. to. You have to. And even if it's a little truth or a big truth, I just think of those two years where I stuffed down every truth inside of me and what it did to me and my family. If I would have just said the, the big and the little things out loud, so many things could have been different along that path. And yeah. maybe we all didn't have to ha- suffer so much. If I would have just said to my mom, instead of when she, you know, I would be crying every day, instead of just saying, oh, I'm sure it's just hormones. If I would have just said to her, like, I'm not myself. Mm-hmm. I'm not myself. And she probably would have said, I know. <laughs> You're definitely not. I've been waiting for you to talk to me, but I didn't want to intrude. You know, I never yeah. gave her a chance. So I think speak the truth in any bigger little way. It'll come out. Is, wow. Is just do it. Wow. Um, when you were talking about your mom just now and you said she would have been like, yeah, I know. I was just waiting for you to come to me because I didn't intrude. And I think that could be how a lot of people feel. They don't, Mm -hmm. they see something is not right, but they don't want to intrude because they don't want to be mad at them. So it's kind of like a a circle, you know, you don't want to say anything because you don't let people down or be embarrassed and they don't want to say anything because they don't want you mad at them for intruding or assuming the worst about you. So they don't Mm -hmm. want to offend you. So they keep quiet. So I think it's Mm -hmm. very key for you to reach out because you're the person that's going through it and it'll Mm -hmm. give them the peace that it's okay for you to help me or interact or ask questions or keep an eye on me or whatever the case may be, because that's key. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, it's a really, really good point. And I've had the experience since then, now that I'm the friend who had postpartum depression, where I've reached out to friends after their newborns and said, you don't seem yourself to me or you're right to you need support. And I've had them get really angry with me. And and that's just like, okay. Like, it's just okay. If, 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 if you reach out to someone to ask them and notice that they're not okay and you just plant that seed and they get really angry with you, it's okay. It's just like, it's better to be brave and reach out. Right. Because I wish somebody would have. Because mm-hmm. um, a lot of people said in retrospect, and we knew you weren't yourself. Right. Oh. Right. She would have told me. My mom is the only one, you know, she did. She said at one point, I think I told a joke or I laughed. Like you said, I like, I like to laugh, you know, I'm someone who loves to tell a joke and I can be wickedly funny. I mean, it was months and months after I had my baby, and I cracked a joke in the kitchen. And she goes, oh, there you are. Mm. And it was like the first window that I realized that people on the outside could see I wasn't the same. Like, I knew I wasn't the same, but I thought I was on the outside. Mm-hmm. And when she said that, I was like, well, oh, where am I? There I am where? What? Huh? You noticed? Wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, it was sort of a window for me to be like, oh, maybe other people. I'm not pulling this off so well, am I? Right. Right. Yeah, that's true. That is very true. So is there um, any activities or routines that you've now established um, for yourself so that you don't go back to where you were in your headspace? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Um, well, it took a long time. And so it took a really long time. So I'm committed to writing uh, in a journal daily because I, I credit that with really saving my life at that time because I was writing in a journal not daily, but frequently, I always had a notebook and a pen around. And so, you know, I did try to express myself at least that way or try to figure out what was going on. I've, I've always been able to, like, kind of do my inner work through a journal, and so I thought I could do that again, and I couldn't. But what was interesting was in my journal, my handwriting would actually switch to this kind of mm-hmm. aggressive, all-capital letter kind of handwriting. Mm-hmm. And that was, like, my inner voice of fight coming out for me. And it would, And when I go back to my journal, I can see those phrases that were written in that handwriting were were cries for help kind of phrases, even if they didn't make sense to me at the time. So I do journal religiously now. um, So I do morning pages, which um, are from The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, which is 15 minutes of free writing of whatever needs to be released on your mind. And I I give myself that. And I speak my truth often and frequently. Uh, And that's like a practice that I have where if something is inside of me, I say it out loud with my big girl words now, you know, mm-hmm. and I, and I also had to really like train the people around me to hear my big girl words and not make me have to escalate. So mm. I really teach the people around me and especially, you know, work with my husband for him to understand, like, I can't afford to escalate. We have to listen to me the first time I say I need something. Uh-huh. Um, 
So that's definitely a bigger part of my practice. I just I just say it's true, and I don't worry so much about all the outcomes of that or what could happen or what people are going to think of me. Um, I'd like to say I meditate and stuff, and I sometimes I do, and so I fall in and out of that habit. But I definitely, um, before I was had a relentless life that was full of me being around people, and now I definitely take a lot more time to myself mm-hmm. to do whatever. You know, to sit mm-hmm. out the window. <laughs> but I take a lot more time where there's no pressure on me to be on or do or think or, you know, I just to just sit with myself um, and and be okay with that. And mm-hmm. but mostly, what I did was change my whole life. I left my career behind. I became a life coach, um, and I I turned all of it around. And I you know I still participate in my old industry because I loved it and I loved working with kids with autism. So I'm still connected with it in different ways. But uh, I, I just that was the biggest piece for me was like life had to change, and and so it did. So that is the best part. And thankfully, six years later, it changed enough that we are able to welcome our second daughter without me having to worry about being in that same pressure cooker again. Right, different now. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. You, I'd love to say I exercise, but I don't. <laughs> so I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> you said that you told your husband. When I asked for help, you know, don't make me escalate. You know, I, mm-hmm. I'm asking you to respond the first time. That's key because that's that power person coming back out again. And when a power mm-hmm. person is asking for help, that's like their last resort. I mean, this yes. is like bitch effort. So when I'm asking <laughs> you, you need to pay attention because I don't, I don't beg. First of all, I don't ask. And for me to ask, mm-hmm. I'm still like begging. So when I ask you one time, I need you to respond because I might not be able to get it past my lips again. Yes, that's so true. It is. It was like by the time I'm asking something simple, it is my last. It was like my last, totally last resort. Like, okay, I'm going to ask. Yes, I'm going to. This is just not ever going to happen. I'm going to die. I'm going to crumble and or explode or I'm going to just black out. So when I'm saying, like, I need help or if I say, you know, make you aware that this is going on with me physically, like, I need you to drop everything and pay attention. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's so key. And that's one of the things about why I want women to um, just think about the woman who's making the impact because you go through so much behind the scenes. I mean, listening to all the stuff that you were doing and the commitments you had and driving six to eight hours a day, oh, my God. But the woman, she was crying out for help, and you were doing you were doing it for another company. It wasn't even for your own business. So a lot of times it doesn't matter who we're doing it for. It's the fact that we're doing it and we're hurting ourselves. So thank you so much. I have learned so much. I'm going to enjoy listening to this again. Oh, my God. The stuff that you have brought up, wow, that is awesome. Well, I want I'm grateful to have the outlet because I feel like if I could have just heard someone talk about this, it you know, like I said, it was really reading a blogger's blog post that was safe enough for me to, she was removed enough from me that I could see that her mm-hmm. behavior, my behavior, her thoughts, my thoughts were the same. So like if one person can hear this and be like, oh, hmm, some of that sounds familiar to me, mm. it's, it's great. It's like I really appreciate having the platform and the outlet. And, and six years later, you know, it's only now that I can even – Talk about it openly without shame. Right. I appreciate you being the person who can can hold the space for all this stuff because it's not like something you want to just blurt out there to anybody. They they don't say things that make you feel defensive. So I appreciate being you. Right. Oh. To hear this. Well, thank you. I'm really honored that you would, you know, honor and trust my work in me and not to be able to do that because I really believe that once you get over something and you're healed from it. You can talk about it and not worry about what other people say or how they feel because this is my thing. When you're free from it, you're free, and nobody can put mm-hmm. you back in shackles. And you have no yeah. shame anymore just because yeah. you're free and liberated and you distance yourself from it. Um, it's not that you're numb about it, but now you can take it and use it. You're empowered by the situation that was not a good situation, so now you're able to help other people or not go back in the same situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and there's like healing in storytelling. There's that piece. I did that for many years where I told the story to my friends and to my family and to my husband and, and healed myself. And now then there's the second part where exactly what you just said. Then there's a part where the story is now yours, but you're empowered by it and you can help you know other people with it, with that emotional distance. And I'm, I'm grateful to be there 
and I'm grateful to be medication-free, and I'm grateful that I haven't suffered any depression or mental illness since I overcame it, um, and that I'm even healthier than I was before I experienced the postpartum depression. So I'm grateful for the journey, yeah. and in retrospect, I wasn't grateful for it at the time. <laughs> but I'm grateful for the opportunity to share it with other people in hopes that maybe it could put them on the path, you know, to everything being better. Cool. I am really, really excited to share this with people. I'm going to have up some links um, in reference to symptoms of postpartum depression and um, with the podcast as well. So thank you for sharing so much. Thank you, Courtney. It was a real pleasure. Thank you. Wow. I am like, oh, wow. I'm just, wow. Wow. That was really, really great. This has been Episode 8 with J.J. Carolyn. Stop believing the lies why you need to get help with postpartum depression. You can reach J.J. at www.jjcarolyn.com or hashtag J.J. Carolyn. I want to encourage all of you ladies to visit my blog at CourtneyColeman.com so that you can get the links to the websites that will be able to give you more information on what postpartum depression is and how it's different from the baby blues. It's very important that you see a physician so that you can be diagnosed properly. And please, ladies, just remember, please seek help from a physician so that you can get the proper help needed for you, your family, and your baby. And if you happen to see someone with certain traits, remember, don't be afraid to just extend an offer of help and love and support so that they know that you are there. And if they don't receive it, it's totally okay, as our guest so alluded to. This has been Courtney Coleman, and I'll see you guys next time on Inside the Impact Zone. Thank you for listening and being in the impact zone. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast. Sharing the impact zone on your favorite social media and with your circle of influence is greatly appreciated. You can also rate and review the impact zone to tell me where you are and the impact it has made in your life. Your feedback helps me continue equipping women to make an intentional impact from the inside out. For more information on how we can work together, visit www.courtneycoleman.com. I'm Courtney Coleman, your personal impact mentor, encouraging you to stay in the impact zone, making an intentional, positive impact.